Hi everyone, Sean Paul Ellis here from the Saturday Morning Cartoons Podcast. Remember, that's morning with you. I promise to try to keep this short. I will probably break that promise by the end of these notes. <laughs> some quick pre-show announcements pertaining to some shout-outs. You guys have been great about this. Quick notes for our Spotify listeners. Yes, you get your very own note today if you're listening on Spotify. Congrats! <laughs> and what is happening on today's episode and in the next couple months? So we have some shout-outs that I wanted to give on episode 85 on YouTube for our cat dog episode. Benjamin Lewis 75 said, LMFAO, you people are funny. Thank you, Benjamin Lewis. I really super appreciate that. I needed that today. Then from Twitter, we have Video Dragoon Lich. He said uh, he actually shared with us a Bubblegum Crisis music video. He did not create this. It was for, I believe, episode four or five within Bubblegum Crisis. Uh, this was really awesome, and I loved watching this, so thank you so much. I really appreciate this, friend. And a quick note and a shout-out. I was recently on the Be Kind and Rewind podcast. You can check that out now on Spotify, anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Carlos from the show was extremely awesome about doing everything. Uh, I've already messaged out about this show, and I will make sure that I do so a couple times again this week. Go listen to that show. And I had a blast doing it. So thank you again, Carlos. Much appreciated. Some Spotify notes. Spotify just announced that podcasts have to have an MP3 format to be compatible with their service. This show that you're listening to is typically not in MP3 format, except for today's episode, which moving forward will be in MP3 format. So why does this matter to a bunch of you who are listening on Spotify? Because a bunch of episodes are probably going to be taken off Spotify as of the next week. Yeah, that's right. Spotify gave people about a one week's notice, which is insane. I am a one man band over here with 229 episodes that I need to convert. It's going to take me a little bit of time. So thank you for being patient and I'll hopefully have those up soon. So what are we talking about today? Today is our final episode in our month long appreciation of Doug Kendall how did Doug get his own dedicated month? Well, he went ahead and he dialed 202-681-4406. Don't worry about writing down this number. It's in our show notes and on our social media. He called in and left a voice message about some shows that he really wanted us to review. We have taken that to task, and we have done that for the entire month of February. If you call in and you leave a message, it ensures that you just get a proper shout-out, and we will 100% review your cartoon. So today we're going to be talking about Bubblegum Crisis, and in March we're going to be doing more listener suggestions. And so we've got a pretty big list, and it's going to carry us through almost the entire end of this year. So you can call and leave us a message, or you can go on our Google form that we have that is on all of our social media in our link tree, and you can submit your cartoon today. So on this episode, yes, this very episode, we are, of course, talking about Bubblegum Crisis. I bring on a new friend, this is Kaylin Batia. Kaylin Batia is from the Homo Superior podcast. If you love comics, go check out Homo Superior. I've been on a couple episodes myself. All five of the people who are over there on that show are a delight. Today, we chatted about our anime exposure and our alter egos in the world of Bubblegum Crisis. All of this and more on today's episode. So now, on with the show.
Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the podcast that revisits, reviews, and ridicules some of the world's weirdest animated series. Coming to you all the way from Mega Tokyo in the year 2032, I will be your host, Sean Paul Ellis. And joining me today in looking very stylish in his own nightsaber hard suit, he also runs a gay nerdy podcast called Homo Superior, local DJ by night and political hack. Welcome, Kalen Batia. Welcome, Kalen. Thanks so much, Sean. And just to let you know, my mech suit is actually rented. I've got to return it after we finish this podcast. <laughs> so we're like we're on like a Cinderella style clock right now. A little bit. You know, if you can find a boot that fits me or if anybody can, they'll be my prince, you know, in shining armor. <laughs> quite a big boot yeah. and for some reason the first thought that i had was somebody putting like a boot on a car oh. on a mech to prevent it from flying away uh, i do have very big feet <laughs> <laughs> perfect well welcome well welcome thanks if this introduction went right over your head and you are not familiar with the cartoon that we are actually talking about today we are of course talking about bubblegum crisis this is this is a lot of fun for me. Again, we've talked about the fact that our, our listener, Doug Kendall, has called in and he has recommended every cartoon that we've watched this month, Techno Man and Bubblegum Crisis. So I'm very excited to get into this. And I wanted to ask, Kaylin, what was your reference to Bubblegum Crisis? Is this something that you had watched or what, what was your reference in terms of older anime in general? So I loved anime as a kid. Um, I grew up uh, being obsessed with Robotech, uh, mm -hmm. which was uh, an American amalgamation of three Japanese animes. Uh, and it was the first time, you know, as a kid watching long form serialized television in a cartoon rather than being episodic. So like, I love the animation. I love the the more adult themes than you would see in your average Saturday morning cartoon. No offense there, Sean. No, no, uh, I'm taking um, But uh, um, so I really liked it. And then, um, you know, when I got a little bit older, uh, you know, even uh, like before, like there were like blockbusters and Hollywood videos that were ubiquitous on every corner. Uh, what a 90s reference, right? Um, no, because I'm about to get really deep into the weeds uh, in a moment. Oh, oh, I can't wait. But um there would in, in I grew up in Houston, uh, and there were these stores that were nowhere near close to where my my parents live or where I grew up, uh, that that specialized in anime. And I remember walking into these video stores, and I never got a chance to rent the videos or buy the videos, which were like hella expensive back then. Like yeah. this is even pre DVD. You had to buy stuff on Laserdisc, buy stuff on VHS. And I remember seeing like stuff like Vampire Hunter D and. Uh, you know, uh, 80 police. And then of course, you know, bubblegum crisis. And I was like, what a weird fucking name. Bubblegum <laughs> crisis. It's like, is juicy fruit like running out of stock? Is that the crisis we're talking about here? But no, it just looked Big really red fiasco. Yeah. But it looked really cool. It's like, it was all the mech that you would see like in shows like Robotech or like Gundam or, 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 uh, you know, other anime of that ilk, but they were all, women and i was like oh that was really cool um the fact that it was like a female centric anime which you didn't really get to see very much uh in american cartoons unless they were cartoons quote unquote for girls like shira or gem and the holograms right. or, or things like that uh, of course being a young gay kid i loved that stuff but it was clearly meant for girls uh whereas i mean like the like uh with anime they had stuff that was action adventure sci-fi stuff that uh, with female centric uh, with with female leads, and I think that's really cool. Absolutely. I mean, I, I 
Yeah, I, when I mentioned that I was going to get really deep into this, I've talked last week about the fact that I used to work at a Blockbuster video. Mm -hmm. And I worked at a Blockbuster during that weird time when they were transitioning out and getting rid of all the VHS tapes and moving to DVD format. A lot of what took place was they were taking all of these older anime VHS tapes and they were putting them into our discount bins. Mm -hmm. And they were marked down to $5. And then with a... I think it was like a 30% discount that I got when I was there. I was walking away with VHS anime tapes for like some, $2. Yeah. If that, it was ridiculous. And I would come home with them and I had probably already watched them and rented them from the store. I kind of thought it was me just kind of taking them to a new home. I was like, you don't, you guys don't belong in this, this discount bin. Let's, let's just go home. Let's it's very generous of you. Oh, yeah. It was the, the act of charity that I did in high school. <laughs> But, you know, there were there were so many different things that they had during that time. And I felt that they were all those late 80s, early 90s contemporaries that I didn't have exposure to, like Dirty Pair, mm -hmm. Biohunter, Wicked City, Demon City, Shinjuku, uh, Heroic Legends of Arislan. There were just all these. I, I watch Heroic Legends of Arislan. Yeah, we rented it from the Hollywood video near my my parents' house, and I was like obsessed with it. I'm so excited. You're the only other person that I've ever had a conversation with that remembers that show. I loved it so much. And I remember trying to find like the subsequent episodes, or I guess they were like little movies. Yeah. Uh, uh, try to like continue the storyline, and they were really tough to find. It's like for those of you who uh, only grew up with streaming, you have no idea what Sean and I had to go through to be able to be completists. So count yourselves as very lucky. Yeah, and it's hard because, you know, we we go through, you know, for any cartoon that we watch on this show, there's always, we can find it sometimes on a reputable streaming service. Other times we have to kind of go and venture into darker corners of the internet to mm -hmm. be able to find some of these things. And it's always a challenge, but, you know, with cartoons of this nature, and especially for Bubblegum Crisis, they're the first two episodes are actually available on Verve. That's mm -hmm. VRV. We've, we've talked about them before on the show. Verve, if you're listening, we would love to talk about a sponsorship. <laughs> Absolutely adore your streaming service. So they have the first two episodes that are available right now. Um, so we've actually had an opportunity to watch that first episode on Verve. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend uh, checking that out. Now, you had mentioned that there was something that you had watched when you were younger an older anime that's that right that you couldn't uh, identify so it was um gosh i'm like i'm i feel like i'm having a senior moment here but <laughs> uh of this anime i watched in the 90s and it was uh female centric and they were ostensibly uh police officers in tokyo okay but they fought demons and monsters and things like that i remember like a, a pentagram being used quite often okay. uh, in the cartoon uh and uh, I cannot remember the name of it. So if any of your listeners can remember the name of this 90s anime of female cops fighting demons using pentagrams, hmm. let me know. They might have been like witches. It might have been some kind of witchcraft, but they're also cops for some reason. Okay. Um, I'm, of course, piecing this from memory of... 20 some odd years ago. I'm, I'm, I'm shaking my head. Yes, because I feel like we have some listeners that are going to be able to help you out with this. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, it's a deep cut, but <laughs> if you can, I'm sure your listeners can figure this out. So if anybody knows, please at us, don't at Charlie Visconage, as we've mentioned in the show before, but uh, please at 
myself, uh, as well as also Kaylin, because we were trying to figure this out. We're trying yeah. to we're trying to remember what this this actual anime is. We talked about a little the fact that Doug has uh, has messaged us and has actually left us uh, a note about why he loves this cartoon so much. And so, if you're listening today and you're thinking to yourself, "Hey, uh, Doug Kendall just got the entire month of February. I would like a month dedicated to the cartoons that I want to recommend as well." <laughs> I can make that so easy for you. You can help us out by calling two zero two six eight one four four zero six. I said that number very quickly. Don't worry about it. It's in all of the show notes. All you have to do is call that number and you can leave us a voice message. Tell us what you want us to watch. Tell us why you loved this so much. And actually, right now, we're going to turn this over to Doug Kendall to tell us why he loves Bubblegum Crisis so much. Doug, take it away. Hey, Sean. This is Doug Kendall from Lemon PA. And I'd like to recommend you check out Bubblegum Crisis. So this is an eight-episode OVA that came out, I think, in the late 80s. And uh, I first discovered it in the mid-90s. My friend Kevin uh, introduced it to me, and I automatically fell in love with it. Uh, it's probably to this day still one of my favorite anime. And uh, honestly, if uh, in my opinion, it's the quintessential '80s anime. I mean, it literally is perhaps the best encapsulation of everything in the 1980s in this show. It is amazing. Um, basically, very briefly, it's a uh, essentially women in high-heeled armored suits fighting Terminators. So if that doesn't get you to want to watch it, I don't really know what else to tell you. Uh, the show pretty much just throws you in and kind of explains stuff as it goes. So much like a lot of anime at this time, you kind of just got to go with it. But it's a, it's a lot of fun. I really do like it a lot. Uh, another thing is that uh, you mentioned you liked Writing Bean, but the guy uh, who did the character designs for that, who created Writing Bean, did the character designs for Bubblegum Crisis, so has a very similar look. Uh, there is also a remake of this that was made in the late 90s called Bubblegum Crisis 2040. Uh, that's a much better show in every way imaginable, but I still have a lot of affection for the original, So, uh, but that one's worth checking, too. Uh, all right, man, that's all I got. So uh, hopefully you'll you'll check it out and you'll enjoy it. Uh, at the very least, it'll give you something to talk about. Take it easy, man. Take care. Great. Thank you, Doug. As always, you can, take out the, you can look for the number that we have in all of our show notes that we have on social media. Please feel free to give us a call and tell us why you love these cartoons. We will definitely dedicate an episode to you. It is the easiest and quickest way to influence the shows that we watch here at SMC. If you are unfamiliar with Bubblegum Crisis... Let's get into a little bit of the history. So Bubblegum Crisis is a Japanese anime that was on from 1987 to 1991, and it is a cyberpunk original video animation, OVA. And it was produced by Umex, and it was animated by AIC and Artmic. The series originally planned to run for 13 episodes, but it was cut short after just eight. The series involves the adventures of the Night Sabers, an all-female group of mercenaries who don powered exoskeletons and fight numerous problems, most frequently rogue robots. The success of the series spawned several uh, sequels, including 80 Police Files, which I can't wait to get into tonight because mm-hmm. this is one of my favorites. The series uh, started with Toshimichi Suzuki intended to remake the 1982 film Techno Police 21C. However, he met Funji Fujiita, and the two discussed the ideas and decided to collaborate on what later became Bubblegum Crisis. 
Kenichi Sonata acted as character designer, which uh, we've had uh, Sonata design other characters that we've had uh, for cartoons that we've talked about on this show. So this is kind of a joy to, to get back into this. And uh, he designed, well, he originally, Sonata had designed the original four female leads, and Masami Obari created the, uh, the mech design that we see. Obari would also then go on to direct episodes five and six. I mentioned that the original series was only eight episodes cut short from its original intended 13 due to legal problems between Artmic and Umex, who jointly held the rights to the series. It was discontinued for that reason. Wow. Kind of a bummer that these two companies kind of had a big hit that a lot of people note as being quintessential late 80s, early 90s anime, and it's had such an influence, and they couldn't get their shit together. Right. Um, so it only rat la- lasted eight episodes, uh, and I've only seen the first. I think you've seen them all, Sean. Did, does it end on a cliffhanger, or does it? Do they wrap it up in eight episodes? Or so I, I have watched all eight episodes. Yeah. At some point, when I was working at a blockbuster, yeah. In my recap of going through everything for the show, I've only watched up to six. Okay. So I haven't watched those final two. I. I get the feeling like it's probably going to be unsatisfying. It could be the great unfinished symphony yeah. of anime. This feels kind of like a like a Pirates of Dark Water, but for anime. What a deep cut! Was I that? mean, <laughs> I loved me some Pirates of Dark Water. That was, uh, yeah, they never finished it. Yeah, uh, and I really dug it. So it was kind of a. It's such a bummer when you you see this happen. At the same time, though, I'll say one of the things that I love about this actual program is that it wasn't really, or it didn't feel like it was ever constrained by that typical 23 minute episode Mm -hmm. block. And so for this episode that we watched tonight, it's pretty much 50 minutes. And then a majority of the other episodes that we have border on the, the 27 to 23. I love the fact that it didn't seem to matter. The only thing that mattered was them actually getting to tell the story for that episode that they wanted to. Right. And because I, you, in watching the episode tonight, I don't know, Kaylin, did you see any marks where they were like, we can now cut to commercial break? Absolutely not. So, no, it, it just, it didn't feel like, you know, dun dun, here's a cliffhanger. Right. And then like, you know, brought to you by, you know, Pop-Tarts. And then we come <laughs> back to, we come back to the, you know, the second act or the third act, whatever it might be. Right. No, it just, it felt like everything was kind of a, a complete piece mm-hmm. and and seamlessly flowed from, from beat to beat to beat within the show itself. Yeah. So I love that. If you can tell already, I'm I'm kind of gushing over this because of the fact that I I had rented Bubblegum Crisis when I was working at a blockbuster, and this is, oh, this is such a good show. Well, Doug, what a great recommendation already. Yeah, I mean, nostalgia is a very powerful factor with this, some of the stuff that we're watching. Absolutely. But to kind of give us a little bit of an overview and a synopsis, mm-hmm. Kalen, you're going to help us out with this, right? Sure. So the series begins in late 2032, which doesn't <laughs> seem that far away now. It's like uh, 13 years from now. Uh, seven years after the second great Kanto earthquake that split Tokyo geographically and culturally in two. So I guess that earthquake is going to happen in about seven years or so, six years. Fingers uncrossed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and during the first episode, disparities in wealth are shown to be more pronounced than in previous periods in post-war Japan. The main adversary is uh, Genom, a mega corporation with immense power and global influence. Its main products are boomers, which are artificial cybernetic life forms that are usually in the form of humans, uh, with most of their bodies being machine, also known as cyberoids. 
Uh, while boomers are intended to serve mankind, they become deadly instruments in the hand of ruthless individuals, much like Roombas will be soon. You heard it here first. If you have a Roomba, watch out. Uh, the great revolution is coming. Um, the 80 police are tasked to deal with the boomer-related crimes, and one of the series themes is the inability of the department to deal with threats due to political infighting, red tape, and insufficient budget. Um, you know, clearly, like this came out in the late 80s. Uh, it feels a lot like the late 80s. Um, and so it mixes a couple of different themes that I see from anime and also from science fiction from that era. One, um, you know, this is 40 years, 40 some odd years after Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Right. And so clearly that is a huge cultural influence on Japanese uh, fiction uh, from Godzilla to Astro Boy to, you know, you, know, you name Akira uh, uh, to other anime uh, as well. And so they clearly had this sort of post-apocalyptic mindset, which makes for some really great fiction because they dealt with something that was really horrific in the past. Absolutely. But I'm also, um, I think this is very much influenced by a comic strip called Judge Dredd, uh, mm. which came out in the late 70s, early 80s. It was British, but it was, took place in America uh, in a city called like Mega City One. Yeah, or Mega something. City One. Yeah. And so what's funny is to me, this came out uh, in early 1987 in Japan, I believe. Right. This is the same year that RoboCop came out in the mm -hmm. U.S., September of 87. And the similarities between the two were very jarring, uh, mm -hmm. where you have, like, the the um, main adversary is an evil corporation. I'm trying to remember the name of the corporation in RoboCop. Um, Was it Omnicorp? OCP. OCP. Yeah, Omnicorp. You're right. Um, and they, you know, they were ostensibly sort of privatizing a lot of, like, the security within right. Detroit. Um uh, and, you know, it was all about uh, turning a human being into the soulless creature, soulless killer to be able to, you know, um, uh, carry out their whims, um, even though it was sort of like this weird partnership between the police and this, and this company. So right. I got a lot of RoboCop vibes from it, too. Obviously, a lot of vibes from like Terminator, Terminator 2, uh, and sort of a lot of that sort of pre-millennium tension um, uh, science fiction that was prevalent in the 80s and the 90s no absolutely i want us to start tonight with kind of understanding as we do with every episode yeah digging in and unpacking this theme song oh i love it okay great. yeah kaylin what are your thoughts about this theme song slash sort of music video introduction segue into everything so uh as you introduced me one of the things you said dj by night it's true. I'm a DJ in Washington, D.C., and one of the things that I did for a long time with uh, fellow podcaster and DJ Adam Kasari, who's been on your show before, nice. Um, we used to have an 80s night called Breakfast Club, and so this is an 80s song, and all I got from this was Bonnie Tyler's Holding Out for a Hero, uh, like oh, the way the yeah. song sounds. Like I was like, what does this remind me of? And I was like, it's Bonnie Tyler Holding Out for a Hero, which is a quintessential 80s song. Um, and the fact that like, you know, our protagonist, uh, is, you know, she's a badass by day and night and also dons this blonde wig, puts on a mini skirt, uh, a bass and like, you know, starts rocking out in a club. I like, I loved it. it, it it's very much of that era. Uh, and I, I just, I just dug it. No, I agree. I, you know, it was really interesting because uh, oftentimes we'll talk about whether or not we felt we had dedicated animation 
for the intro or if this was something that was recycled from the episode. Yeah. And so it's nice to feel that not only was this dedicated animation, but they were splicing in segments of the the actual uh the band that we have here is Pris and mm-hmm. the Replicants. And they are playing at a club that is called Hot Legs and they're doing this song Hurricane uh which is is so good and there there are just so many weird moments in the song itself and like memorable lines like when they say big city uh you know there's there's all these themes that they have about uh being lonely and and just sort of uh child lost in love mm-hmm. and then sort of the the want and the desire but it ultimately ends up with just saying i love you and give me touch <laughs> which, <laughs> Yeah, maybe the translation didn't quite make it through, but yeah. you know, it's still a very catchy song. Oh my god, it's a it's a complete earworm. Yeah, but I love the fact that they use this uh, to kind of segue in not only from showing that you have like a skyline where suddenly a building explodes and the the genome building is in the background and you're right. kind of like towering over top of everything, you get a couple cutscenes of seeing uh you know, sort of people kind of living like their day to uh, day to day, like their their slice of uh, Americana, yeah, uh, in the city. And so you you see homeless, you see people kind of on the streets, you see women doing aerobics, which is so super, like in unison, which is so super eighty, and yeah, it's, and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, and then it kind of builds into this song where you're kind of in the middle of this music video. And then they use that as a way to also segue in and splice in some bits about. Uh, a boomer that's loose in the city and how the 80 police are responding to these different districts that we have. Uh, and they're, they're being wiped out. And so you have this balance of here's the song. And then it's like, give me touch. And it's a boomer crushing a police officer's head. And you're like, Oh man, this is, this is very graphic. You know, both of us are somewhere in between generation X and millennial. And I've long thought that boomers would destroy our world too. So, uh, (laughs) this is very, uh, uh, it's a little creepy to watch that. <laughs> it, it is. It's very creepy. Uh, um, but like, I feel like music, like music, and um, you know, rock stars are very a big part of like anime culture, at least from this era. Yeah. You know, going back to Robotech, uh, and then ma- the Macross series and the Mospita series that uh, th- that the Japanese the Japanese names for them. In Macross, you had Linman May, uh, you know, as like one of the main characters and the love interest of Rick Hunter. Uh, Mosquita, and, and she's like a recording artist too. She's yeah, and so she ends up becoming this like huge pop star on SDF One, mm-hmm. and then in um, Mosquita, the Invid Invasion uh, uh, segment of Robotech, you had Yellow Dancer, and it was actually it was uh, Lance. It was actually uh, she was trans, really? uh, uh, or rather, um, uh, in the show they called him a crossdresser, but um, it was clearly like he was you know non-binary. Hmm. Uh, uh, it was Lancer was the male version and then Yellow Dancer was the female version as, as like this famous rock star on earth while the invasion's happening. Interesting. Yeah. It's really crazy to see that like in anime in the eighties, how progressive they were in terms of sexuality and what they were doing. Cause that's not the only instance where you saw where you have in an animated form, you know, people who were a little bit more gender fluid mm-hmm you know, for these, these different shows. And that's, I don't know. I, I like seeing that it's fun to kind of notice and kind of, especially go back in 2019 
and notice that, hey, somebody was actually thinking about this. Somebody was writing about this. Somebody was including this in stories. Absolutely. It's, uh, they were very progressive, as you said. Right. I will say the one thing that is a little bit challenging for this sort of story within a story about the, the police and the band that we have as we're making this segue is that we don't sadly get a roll call in terms of who the characters are yeah. other than Pris. There are a large number of, of characters and, and you really do have to kind of listen in order to, to get their names. That's kind of challenging, right? You know, so I, and we actually didn't get sort of a full roll call. You have, uh, you have Lena at one point who shows up in the audience for Pris's concert, kind of like nodding her head and smiling. And you're like, well, that's, Nice that she's being so supportive, and then she right. walks out to to uh, Silva's van, and and they kind of have a very quick conversation about the the boomer that we have kind of had as the story, as this through line, you know, throughout the music video portion of this, and that they're they're going to engage, and that Pris is probably going to be pissed because they're not getting paid for this, right? <laughs> and so it's that's sort of your introduction to the team, but there's there's more characters. There are, and I felt like that was probably one of the weaknesses of the this first episode is besides, you know, not having a roll call, which I don't necessarily need. I'm happy to like kind of, you know, in media res, like learn who the characters are. But I felt besides Pris, they were all kind of like, they just sort of faded into the background for me. <sighs> yeah, it's it's kind of challenging sometimes. It, it is. And I mean, you know, again, I just watched the first episode. Clearly, it's, it's supposed to be 13, went on for eight. Uh, and if I'd kept watching, maybe I would have gotten a, a better sense for these characters. Uh, right. But um, not, nobody really like stood out for me besides Pris. Right. It's it's hard. It's always hard. What isn't hard is some of the. This is a bad segue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are some of the lines that we have that are drawn around a majority of our characters? These, yeah. Uh, and so I I wanted to kind of uh, pivot slightly, and we've talked a little bit about some of the the character design. We've kind of talked around them a little bit, but Kellen, what did you think about the animation style? Some of the inspirations. I know that we've kind of talked a little bit about them. Yeah, uh, I've got a I've got a whole list of things as well. I'm sure that our lists are probably very similar. Yes. Um, clearly, like Blade Runner, which came out in the early '80s. Check. Um, you know, I mentioned RoboCop. Although RoboCop came out after this, um, I would say the first Terminator film, which was a few years before this. Right. Um, the animation style, I think, is considering it's 1987 is absolutely lovely. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of it's very seamless looking. It looks very um, ahead of its time. Um, I think a lot of the, uh, the drawings and illustrations look very cool and very interesting. Um, and it's very fluid. Um, yes. I, I, you know, uh, it's, it's clearly well ahead of what most American animators were doing right around this time, maybe with the exception of Disney. And this is before Disney's renaissance. I mean, right. Little Mermaid came out in like 1989. Right. Um, and so, you know, they were kind of like, you know, sort of floundering during the mid to late 80s. Um, I thought I thought it looked wonderful, and it clearly wears a lot of its influences on its sleeve. No, I agree. I think one of the biggest things uh, that you had mentioned was just how fluid everything looks. Mm-hmm. And I think that they do just a fantastic job with action and battles. For sure. And and that is in terms of sort of how they're actually framing some of the angles for the actual action itself. Uh, and then they're also using different camera lenses, such as there's a scene that we have very early on where they're they're firing at a boomer uh, and it, it's coming from like the, the actual video inside of the helicopter right. that's chasing it. You have a lot of uh, information from the HUD 
within the actual boomer itself or the HUDs, the, the heads up display that you have that's within the, the hard suits. So you, you have all these different kind of multiple angles and perspectives and nothing seems static or boring the entire right. time. Like it's, it's really unbelievably enjoyable to watch the battle sequences and they, they feel hard hitting. They do. They feel, yeah, like they've got weight to them. Yeah. Nothing I, feels, nothing feels like it's an, you know, like weightless or, you know, kind of happening in a, in a void. Yeah. And so I, I agree with you on all the things that you had mentioned. I definitely, I know the, I think you mentioned this earlier, the, the Akira yeah. reference. And, and that's not even just in terms of actual animation style. I feel like that's in terms of actual animation content. We have some of these boomers at some point who hit critical mass mm-hmm. and sort of uh, turn into these like weird like inhuman organic monsters. weed kind of creatures yeah. that sort of are like biomass. Yeah that uh, permeate everything that's around. And they, again, it kind of goes into that weird whole Japanese tentacle thing, but I uh, know, yeah. uh, but it, it just, it integrates into whatever organic is around it at any point. And it's, right. it's cool to kind of see that because then these characters get larger than life. They get almost like the size of a city suddenly. Absolutely. And so I think that that's cool to see. Uh, it reminded me also of an anime that came out around the same time called riding bean that was one of my favorites that was just a movie. It was a one-off about a driver uh, and his partner who hmm. would always take like these missions. That was super fun. And I got a lot of stuff that was on here from ghost in the machine. Definitely ghost in the machine. And the movie ghost in the machine came out, I think what like 95, 96, right. but the manga, you know, I think was eighties and nineties, but clearly uh, a lot of the folks who were doing manga and anime right around this time, I think there was like this sort of, um, What's the term I'm looking for here? Uh, kind of uh, like a shared space, shared headspace. Right. Of like they were all kind of delving into like similar inspirations. And so you had a lot of stuff that wasn't necessarily aping uh, one or the other, but clearly, you know, tapping into the same sort of source material. Anything that you felt, because I, I know that, you know, there's a lot of uh, manga is very obviously present and, and prominent in Japanese culture. Yeah. You know, not even just for a lot of the cartoons that we talk about, having sort of a, a template or a roadmap from the actual manga to then transition into the OVA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm actually not sure if Bubblegum Crisis even had a manga prior you know, to it. I don't think it was prior to the OVA. I think they did one after. It was right in between that and whatever the... Bubblegum Crash? Yeah, Bubblegum Crash. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... It's interesting to see because typically, you know, you can take what you have in your manga and use that as a way to begin to storyboard mm-hmm. everything that you have. We've seen that in a lot of car or you know, a lot of anime series, you know, of being able to kind of have that influence and sort of take some of those shots. Plus, it has that like, oh fuck moment when you have read the manga and then you see the show. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that they they frame that perfectly. It looks fan it looks wonderful. Well, Akira is a great example of that, um, which is a phenomenal film. Uh, but if you've, you know, I watched the film first and then I went back and read the manga and realized how in depth the story really goes. Cause where you think the story ends in the movie, it doesn't really, and really? the manga keeps going and going and going. It's, 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 it's like six large volumes or right. eight large volumes. And like, it's so good. 2019 is my year to actually finally read Akira. Yeah, I've do been, it. I've been complaining. I've been talking about it for quite some I, time. I, at one point, uh, I owned all six volumes, I think. In some move, I probably you know donated them to a library or sold them to Goodwill or some or something like that. I don't, <laughs> I don't I don't know what I did, but no, awesome. You know we've 
we've talked a little bit about some of these characters. And so I know that we've talked about the fact that Pris really kind of took the spotlight. Uh, she's the first character out of the the night sabers that were, were introduced to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we probably have the most exposure to her in, in terms of what she's doing. I think we also get the best sense of her personality. She also has the best hair. I mean, those bangs are to die for. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, and, and, and it doesn't feel like she's wearing like helmet hair. No. Like we've seen in other anime, mm-hmm. like where they have like the weird pompadour and then they take off a helmet and it, their hair is in the shape of, of the, the helmet. helmet. Yeah, exactly. So I love the fact that this is something that kind of feels like it feels big uh, without feeling like a helmet or too aggressive. It is. I don't know. I love the I love the style for her as well. Yeah. So we have a, a bunch of other cast members that we have that are in here. And so. I wanted to check and see, Kalen, is there anybody specific other than Pris that really kind of stood out to you that you really identified with? So, um, stood out, yes, identified, no. Uh, Leon McNichol, yeah. who's the, the representative of the 80 police, <laughs> who played every toxic male that we saw oh, in every 80s and 90s sitcom. Um, you know, like he's lauded, or even in... Uh, like up to the 2000s, uh, you know, and even in this decade a little bit, uh, like he's like, hey, you know, I'm going to win you over with persistence. I'm like, uh, you're getting real close to like date rape, dude. Like it's just, it's just, this is like a pre hashtag me too cartoon and you can definitely see it. There's even a moment towards the end of the first episode where he keeps like asking her and then she just r- drives away because she's not interested. Yep. And and he almost says, "Well, maybe she's a," and like leaves it off. And clearly, he's he's going to say she's a lesbian. Yeah. Which we never get a sense of her sexuality one way or the other. And if she was cool, if she's not cool, but like the fact that like he immediately goes to that um, because she's not interested in it's like, uh, I mean, he stood out, but in the worst way possible. Like yeah. he's just that guy, you know. And it's hard too because Leon McNichols in the series spinoff AD Police Files takes a prominent role as well. Of course he does. And does he have the same characteristics? Yeah, that? I mean he's. I mean a little bit. Yeah. Uh, there's there actually is uh, a member of the AD Police Force who kind of flirts with him mm-hmm. with Leon, but he never seems to get the fact that another male coworker is kind of flirting with him. Oh. But the rest of the office, it's actually in episode two of uh, Bubblegum Crisis. Crisis. Okay. Uh, He makes some comment about how like they could get a hotel and relax. And he's like, I don't have time for that. And walks away and the rest of the office just starts laughing at him. Yeah. And he just, he seems to just be, like you said, kind of toxic, oblivious male figure that's there. He was, he was in one of the three moments within this episode where i kind of cringed a little bit mm-hmm. and and definitely it was the i wonder if she's a there were two others that were in there that will we well, can talk about oh yeah well yeah um one was a it was what was it mac uh the character mac who is uh what it's a it's stingray's the the leader of this her last name's stingray yeah uh silva stingray and so stingray's brother uh looks at her boobs at one point that's right and there's a moment where like the music changes and i felt like almost the entire tone of the show changed yeah and she kind of like slaps him with a newspaper that was one thing for me i was like i don't know that we necessarily needed that again it's 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 such a like shitty sitcom trope 
it's like, oh, I'm leering at this woman, you know, and like, let's make it funny. And like, she's going to get mad at me, but she's not really mad at me. And like, I, I just hate it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the third and final one is something that we've actually talked about on our episode for Technoman two weeks ago mm-hmm. was uh, women getting hit. And we have that moment where a boomer punches Pris like in the stomach. Yeah. And kind of like grabs her by the head and then hits her. And there are moments like that when that kind of happens where I I don't enjoy it as much. Now, I understand, obviously, in terms of uh, when this show was actually made, story, advancing the plot. You don't, like, you find out very quickly that he's a boomer, but he also was a male-looking boomer Yeah, that assaults her and punches her right away. In the episode that we've had for Technoman, there was a lot of assault, and there was also some of those toxic male tropes where, you know, he's, somebody is persistently hitting on somebody. You know, there was one character that we had named Ringo, in techno man who continued to say, Hey, if we need to repopulate the earth, you know, I'm a man, you're a woman, like we can make this happen. Right. And it's, it's that kind of content when you watch it, where you're like, Oh, you are like, this didn't age well. You are really dating yourself. Well, I mean, we haven't even gotten into like, this isn't even hentai. And like, I mean, hentai, yeah. a lot of hentai is incredibly anti-woman, anti-feminist. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. So any any other notable characters from you? I know we talked about Leon, we talked about Pris, we talked about Stingray. Uh, we have uh, we have Lena, who is the woman who wears sort of the the suit and tie. She kind of looks like Paula Poundstone. Oh yeah, she does look like Paula yeah, Poundstone a little, little yeah. bit. Yeah, I, I good kinda, reference. I kind of liked it. Yeah. We have Nene, who's a little bit more of the the more kind of kawaii kind of cute mm-hmm. character. She's shorter. She's got the purple hair, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then we have uh, we have um, Mason, who is sort of the the final bad guy that we. So he didn't like character wise, like he just seemed kind of generic bad guy. But visually, like when he transformed, I thought was very unsettling. Oh yeah, like because like he's still human or humanoid at the very you know like his upper torso and then his lower torso becomes boomer and it just it's it's a very jarring oh oh so the the guy that you're talking about that's actually uh fg uh frederick oh that's right Um, i'm sorry the the other guy uh mason is the the person who actually for genome he is like the the guy who's in charge and he's brian j mason because when they say it they're like brian j mason yeah and it just it seems threatening yeah (laughs) it's like who it's he's a good bad guy but we're not it's one of those things where you're like, is he a boomer? Is he not a boomer? Oh, okay. All um, right. But you know, he's making, he's making moves and he's making plans even in this early episode to kind of set them up for success because you know, they're, they're interested in acquiring, uh, you know, uh, boomers. They're, they're interested in essentially stealing technology from the, the USSD, which is the sort of group that, you know, is creating some of this biomechanical warfare stuff that they have. And so, uh, you learn about sort of some of the conspiracy very early on where they're saying like, you know, this genome needs to steal information and stuff from USSD. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brian J. Mason says, I can get that to you within 24 hours. And you're like, oh, okay. All right. Well, he's very efficient, apparently. <laughs> Fucking creep. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just so weird. Well, we, I think we've we've hated on some of these shitty characters. <laughs> yeah, there's quite a few. Uh, but I wanted to get into sort of some of the the plot, the actual, the meat and potatoes of this show. Now, yeah. we're obviously not going to go beat by beat through a lot of the things that we have, but um, I've got a bunch of questions 
kind of a, to help kind of guide us through this, but I wanted to just check and see, Kaylin, was there anything from this episode that didn't get answered for you that we can kind of help answer that we can kind of help figure out? Yeah, I felt like it kind of the resolution uh, and uh, with the the young girl who they're trying to rescue. Yeah, they didn't really get into like who she is and why she's so important. At least I didn't pick up on on that uh, throughout this episode. It's it's hard because they really they do it in sort of almost like a montage very quickly at a point where they like in it's something that if you blink you will miss it where it sort of shows her body on like an operating table towards the very end. Oh, okay. Where you realize that she's also maybe not a boomer, but she, I mean, I guess for all intents and purposes, she is a boomer, but she's actually used as a targeting system for the satellite itself. Oh, okay. And so that's like the big detail that they, they don't use is that sort of when they talk about and they're recruited by the ussd to recover cynthia and find this fg frederick guy uh that they're they the the night sabers believe that it's just simply like a kidnapping that they need to go find these two people right then they find out that you know frederick is a boomer boomer and, and they cynthia think that might... cynthia is still they think that she's still a human yeah when they actually find out like towards the very end when frederick kind of goes uh full uh akira and and kind of like integrates like into her legs, yeah. And she has that like weird robot flashback, uh, you know, that she's the one that actually targets the orbital satellite. I, I think, presumably, to kind of like blow them up. So then my question is, because you've you've watched you've watched the remainder of, of these episodes, at least you've seen the first six very yeah. recently. Um, is there like a, a through line story, or is it more episodic? From episode to episode. Yeah, I mean, the, the through line really is sort of the the genome, you know, kind of uh, introducing these weapons and just sort of the the USSD kind of unsure how to to handle and respond to a lot of this. So yeah. is there a different weapon in each episode? Is it episodic in that sense? Or yeah, I mean, you've a... got like a different boomer, okay. you know, in uh, like a different boomer or you've got like a different person who's got information that they need to get in pretty much uh, okay. every episode. So, yeah. Got it. I've got some questions that I have. And so uh, I wanted to check and see, in your lifetime, do you feel that we are going to have home-supporting robots? Uh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, we've got, uh, we've got, as I mentioned before, we've got Roombas. Uh, <laughs> they clean your floor, but they're going to overtake humanity before we know it. it they're the precursor of Skynet, oh, no. as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but I mean, sure. I mean, to be a, a little less tongue in cheek, I mean, uh, we have Google Home and right. the Amazon Echo. Uh, we have Siri on our phones, or if you have an iPhone, um, we've, we're going to have self-driving cars in the next ten to fifteen years. Right. Um, absolutely, I think you know the sort of robots are going are already part of our lives, or are, some kind of nascent artificial intelligence is already you know, part of our lives. And um, I think there's something very exciting and very, very scary about that in the next, um, you know, the next several years. I, I think the the concept and sometimes what I hear it referred to as like human automation mm -hmm. of just being able to say, you know, what are some of the, the normal, regular, everyday things that you have that's a part of your life? How do you make it faster? How do you make it easier? How do you make it more accessible? How do you stay better informed? Right. And so I, I, 
I'm always a little bit nervous about some of that. I also have worked in the tech field for uh, 13 years now. And mm-hmm. so there's a part of me that's like, oh no, I really, I really do want this. I do want this assistance. Like I, I use tech and for just about every part of my daily life. Absolutely. Same here. You know, and I so think we all do. There's a part of me that's, I, 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 there's a part of me that always makes sure that there's like an hour a day where I don't do it to kind of like give myself a break, whether mm-hmm. it's me going to the gym or, or just kind of like putting my phone down. But I, I definitely do try to take better breaks. That's uh, good. I think that's important for things. And that, I think that that's sometimes helpful. So my phone, um, I just got a new iPhone recently and it tells me like how many hours I average a day looking and the last notification I got scared the living shit out of me. I'm like, I wait, I do what now? Like, I cannot believe I look at this phone that much. But wow. for those who know me, they're like, yeah, of course you do. Like, you're always <laughs> on social media. Uh, you're always looking down at your phone. You're always fiddling with it. It's just, it's as I'm doing this right now as we're talking. No. And so um, it, it's, it's, yeah, to answer your question again, absolutely. I think, I think we're already there. And now it's just sort of a, a, a question of scale. Right. I think there's a question of scale for me and there's a question of how human are we going to make them look? Mm. I was in LAX airport on a layover this weekend Mm -hmm. and I was outside of uh, a restaurant that they had that's there and it had one of those like small robots and it was holding a, an iPad and it had the the menu that was on the iPad. Mm-hmm. And you could walk up and you could stand in front of it and it would greet you and say, Hi, welcome to this restaurant. What can I help you with? No, that's creepy. And it was and it was creepy. And I went over to it and I, I pressed menu. Yeah. And the menu would not show or display. And I just went, I'm just gonna get a fucking And then it said resistance just... is futile. And yeah. <laughs> it said, Come with me if you want to live. And right. I was like, This is weird. This is really fucking weird. Like, how did you get the screen through security robot? And it's like, <laughs> don't worry. And then it put sunglasses on. That was the weird moment. And, and did it say where we're going? We don't need roads. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. Jesus. laughs> Every 80s reference, just throwing <laughs> in there. Yeah. Uh, and then we watched the movie Roadhouse. And so <laughs> <laughs> I took a paper menu and I started looking at it. And another guy comes up to this robot and it says the, hi, welcome to this restaurant. What can yeah. I get you? And this guy, no lie, spent three minutes talking to this robot where he was like, salad show me salads and it goes i can't find what you're looking for he goes salads show me salads he's like maybe you should get a paper menu i was like this robot's fucking smart maybe yeah. this guy should get a paper menu but he persisted and was just like show me chicken salads and it like it would not comply with what he wanted and i i was there was a part of me that's like this automation seems awesome and it seems nice it's great to have access to this information. Right. It's great to use new technology and give it a shot. Try it out. Right. In this moment, definitely not fucking working. Right. <laughs> it's really bad. I wanted to get your opinion. I know we talked a little bit about the fact that we have these boomers. They're also called cyberoids. Mm-hmm. Do you think in this series that they have boomers for sex? For sure. What do you think that they would be called? Boobers? <laughs> no, that was <laughs> really bad. Uh, I 
think um you're gonna be really upset when i tell you the name of them <laughs> are, am i really yeah. like are they are they is it just horrible or disappointing it's, it's grown worthy okay they're called sexeroids like eh. cyberoids they're just called sexeroids eh. <laughs> it seems kind of lazy it's really i hope lazy. they're not lazy at sex i would hope not too yeah yeah that'd be a bummer mm. Mm. so not being lazy we have genome and we have ussd and I wanted to just check and see, you know, they, they seem to be sort of this, this very prevalent driving force in terms of uh, what we have in this city, what's going on. They seem to, like one genome almost seems to control the military right. in this sense. And do you feel that, uh, that genome or the USSD, do you feel or believe just kind of based on this first episode impression that, there's, that they feel as an entity that they're above the law? hundred okay. percent. Um, and again, this is going back to a lot of, uh, science fiction from this era, eighties and nineties where it's, um, it tends to be corporations, uh, tend to be the ones who end up unleashing this Pandora's box. I mean, think, thinking about Ridley Scott's alien and then aliens, uh, by, uh, 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 what's his name? Um, What's the director's name of, of Aliens? He did, he did Titanic as well. Oh, James Cameron. James Cameron. I couldn't think of his first name. <laughs> uh, you know, you have Waylon uh, Yatuni. Is that the yeah, name of the company? Yeah, Waylon Yutani. Waylon Yutani is yeah. the name of the, the company um, that, you know, ultimately unleashes the, uh, you know, the xenomorph. Right. And then in Aliens, you know, they're trying to weaponize the xenomorph for, for warfare and to make profit off of it. Uh, Skynet it was a company, you know, in Terminator, uh, and ends up becoming, you know, creating this robotic apocalypse right. uh, across the world. Um, and so there, it, it, there is this very uh, real skepticism and outright hostility towards corporations that remain unchecked um, in a lot of this fiction. And I feel like that's definitely in here as well. And then there's this sort of like uh, chess match that's happening between. Um, between um, Genome and the uh, what's the name of the the other the other entity USSD USSD I almost call it the SDF one but that's the spaceship in, in, in Macross, <laughs> Macross. Um, uh, and so uh, it's it's like governmental entity versus a corporation right uh, but the governmental entity obviously isn't you know free of any uh, wrongdoing as well clearly they're right. corrupt and they're inept and they're you know, uh, stopped by bureaucracy and red tape. Uh, and so like, they've got their own problems. No, I agree. So given that we have this, these two entities that really kind of are above the law and we also have this separate group of night sabers that are mm -hmm. fighting them. Do you feel that this group, do you feel that the night sabers are actually equipped to be able to bring these two entities to justice? So I think it's a bit of a David v. Goliath story. Uh, and I think um, that's we tend to root for these sort of underdogs right. um, who are always caught in the situations that, are, that like they're definitely uh, in above their heads. Uh, and so that's what makes for great fiction. Um, I'm sure you know these this plucky group of cybernetic warriors <laughs> can somehow pull it through. Otherwise, why are we watching? No, I, I agree. I mean, it's funny to hear them talk about the fact that their hard suits are more advanced even than what the military has. Right. Which leads you to believe, why haven't you guys been able to build these yourself or, or use them or militarize this? Right. I don't know. I, I would think in all the years that 
I've ever worked in technology, if I would create something that would have life-threatening consequences or an impact, I would build a fail-safe in. I would do something sure. to try to figure out a, a countermeasure to what I'm doing. Sure. You know, it's it's hard. But I wanted to ask, since you kind of talked about this plucky group of, of mechanized women fighting the good fight, I wanted to get your impression, the night sabers, would you consider them to be mercenaries, vigilantes, or terrorists? Yes. Yes? All three. Okay. I mean, um, but it's all, obviously, it's all like kind of perspective. Correct. Uh, if you're, um, you know, if you're a bystander that's being affected negatively by by the company they're you know they're superheroes they're vigilantes you know to a certain degree but they're still above the law right um they're clearly for hire so they're mercenary in that respect and if you're the corporation they're terrorists because they're blowing up your shit right they're destroying the products that you stole they are and so i like that there is there are some shades of gray i mean clearly they are the protagonists and clearly they're the good guys right but you know they're definitely uh, uh, they're definitely engaging in some wanton destruction and leaving a lot of collateral damage. Yeah, I, the thing that strikes me so funny is the f- uh, the fact that when we're we're introduced them initially at the very beginning of the episode, they they talk about the fact that they they're doing a job but they're doing it without getting paid. Mm-hmm. So I was like that to me. I was like that's either a mercenary who's not good at negotiating a deal or that's a vigilante. And then it seemed like every mission that they went on. From that point forward, like they were getting promised money, like twenty million yen, right. if they could complete this job, this task. But then there was always some caveat that they weren't fulfilling that was allowing them to not get paid, or to allow the USSD to say, "We're not going to pay you because you didn't recover Cynthia." You know, she got blown up by a, an orbiting target satellite. They're mercenaries without business degrees, which is yeah. like. <laughs> You know, clearly they needed somebody who like knows finance and some, uh, like some type of a, a collections agency where they could just be like, hey, we've got like a, a processing area of, you know, the bubblegum crisis organization. Right. That, you know, will help you in terms of invoicing and processing those invoices and purchasing orders like guys, this should be that hard. Yeah. So speaking of the name bubblegum crisis, I looked this up actually why it was called that. Okay. And I don't know if you've, if you know the background. I did, but please share it. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm sure you did. Uh, but I always thought it was such a weird name and it's kind of a cool name, but it's like the, the moment right before a bubble from a bubblegum like pops and creates this like sticky mess. Right. And so this is like they're they're on the like the the threshold or the precipice of before like this utter disaster like hits hits their world. Uh which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh I had a bubblegum crisis of my own mm-hmm. when I was a kid. I had uh, I wear glasses, I usually wear contacts. Yeah. Uh I was in middle school and I was in a chemistry class and we had something where the teacher was trying to explain to us about uh, you know, bubble gum. There was some science lesson that we were learning. We all got to chew a ton of gum. I blew a huge bubble that was like the size of my face and Whoa. it popped and it stuck to my glasses. Yeah. And so I don't know. I'm a I was a kid. I was probably twelve, thirteen years old. I went home. And I tried to clean my glasses in the sink yeah. with soap and a sponge. What I thought was a sponge, uh, it was a Brillo pad, and no. I just destroyed your. I glasses. just destroyed 
both lenses in this guy. And when my mom saw, she was livid. I mean, yeah. she really freaked out. So that was, that's my only bubblegum crisis. Uh, that's a pretty minor one, all things considered. I'm yeah. sure at the time it was pretty major. Uh, fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was, uh, <laughs> that was bad. But yeah, I, I, I read the same thing. I thought it was always a fascinating name. And to read that story, I was like, okay, yeah, I like this. Yeah. This is like, it, it's simple, uh, but it's very catchy. You know, so one of the other things that we had in this show that was simple and catchy was the fact that we talked about we have a band that yeah. Chris is in, Chris and the Replicants. Um, and so I had mentioned that they played their single Hurricane at at a club that is called Hot Legs. Great name. And so I love it. Everything about those four things, stage name, band name, club that you would perform at single. Yeah. Kaylin, I wanted to ask, what would your stage name be? What would you, do you want the, do you, do you want to do it in pieces or you want to do it all together? All together. All together. Yeah. So the questions I have for you is what would your stage name be? Yeah. What would be the name of your band? All right. What is the club that you perform at and what's the name of your hit single? Okay. So, um, when we, when you introduced me, you said that I was a nerdy podcaster. I've got a podcast we'll talk about a little later called yeah. the most superior. And it's, we focus a lot on nerdy stuff, but mostly on the X-Men. So I'm a huge X-Men geek. So uh, bear that in mind as I give you my name. Good. So I would be uh, Fema Frost. <laughs> and my band is the Hellfire Dub. Uh, and we're performing at Club Cerebro. <laughs> oh, I love this. And our single is called Checkmate. Ooh. Because Emma Frost is the white queen. Right. Fire Club. So, yeah. No, that yeah. is great. Yeah. Do you have one too? I do. I do. So... My band name would be Spike and the Synthetics, and we're playing at a bar that's called Drunk Grandma, <laughs> and our hit single is Colossal Thunder. Um, I can imagine Drunk Grandma, every drink is served in a mason jar. Oh uh, my God, yeah. And not only is smoking allowed, it's encouraged, uh, but every, only from a cob pipe. <laughs> every drink goes on instead of a coaster, it's just doilies. Oh. Couches that are in there are like wrapped in like the the grandma bubble wrap. Excellent. And then they put like a Werther's original in every cocktail. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. There's it's just any end table or place that there is, there's just always like a random assortment of mints that you don't know how they got there. But it's one giant mint that's sort of fused together because it's just been there for so long. It's like the ultimate, uh, the ultimate mint. Yeah. Just, I love it. I love it. That's perfect. That's great. <laughs> I don't know why Drunk Grandma is. Drunk Grandma such... is a great, that is a great name for a bar. <laughs> Oh man, I love it. Now, uh, any final questions, Kalen, that you have about Bubblegum Crisis? Um, so I'm curious about like the timeline. So does AD Police take place concurrently or is it a sequel to Bubblegum Crisis? I know Bubblegum Crash is obviously a sequel to Bubblegum right. Crisis. I think that it is, I think it's after everything that we have for, for Bubblegum Crisis. And so I, I think that this comes sort of in the, the sequel sense, but it pivots very hard and kind of only focuses on, uh, oh my God, on Leon. Mm -hmm. So he kind of gets the, I think the the solo attention that he he wants and deserves. But I, I think that that show only actually went three episodes total. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. That's it? It was very, very short. Okay. Because I remembered uh, like when you could, when you rent the VHS, all the episodes came, I think, on one VHS. And I was like, well, this is great. Are there more? No. No. All no right. Nothing mm. Nothing else was out there. So, man. 
All right. Well, before we get to our opinions, turns out that you, yeah, you, listen right now. <laughs> oh boy, you have opinions. You have a lot of opinions and you actually, you love to post them online and we are gonna honor those opinions by handing this over to longtime listener in front of the show, Bobby Anthem, for this week's Love It or Hate It. Bobby, take it away. Our Love It This Week is titled Girls in Mech Suits Battle Cyborgs Plus Great Japanese Pop Music, written by MVW8 in September 1998. It says, This series of eight videos is by far my favorite Japanese animation series. My other favorites are Akira, Superb details, excellent coloring scheme, and artistic aspects. And Ghost in the Shell, great opening scene, strong atmosphere. But my heart is captured by Bubblegum Crisis and its cast of female characters. One of its strongest features, especially in the first episodes, is the soundtrack. Albeit, in general, Japanese pop music sounds pretty childish to most listeners. The songs from Bubblegum Crisis have something special to them. 10 out of 10. And our Hated is titled, This is Classic Anime, written by Wright Peach 8 in March 2002. This one is edited for length, and Wright Peach says, What a dreadful disappointment Bubblegum Crisis turned out to be. The episode I inflicted on myself featured a lackluster plot about a vengeful motorist in a Batmobile, and I only managed half of it before falling asleep, literally, not figuratively. On the plus side, the animation is superb. I won't contest that. Both the beauty and action scenes are handled with genuine style and panache. And while we're praising, there was a half-decent effort to convincingly portray a disturbed individual slipping into insanity. But all that is ruined utterly and completely by the genre silliness. The whole concept of the gal group kicking ass is childish, but it doesn't have to be, and childishly handled. What is a simpering bimbo doing in the group? You'd evict her in a second. The essentially juvenile fantasy fulfillment girl action jarred badly with the pretensions towards serious drama with the Batmobile driver. It was just a big old mess. Akira showed that you don't have to stick to the genre plot devices, or caricatures to produce an anime film. Avoid, avoid, avoid. One out of ten. I love that the hated for this asks the question, is this classic anime? I don't know how much more classic, at least for me, you can kind of get. It's very classic. With this. Uh, this is maybe one of the few times where like, I, I actually I vehemently disagree so much with the hated. I'm like, I want to hate the hated that they wrote here it it seems ridiculous yeah so uh but to each his own so fair enough to you person who hated it you get your own spotlight on our show wonderful right now though we are going to figure out what our recommendations are mm -hmm. so obviously we can either recommend something you don't have to recommend it and if you don't recommend it you can give it the roger rabbit style dip which erases it from the annals of cartoon history forever and we won't talk about it on the show unless we are making fun of it Kalen, what is your impression of bubblegum crisis i think i would recommend it for sure um it clearly isn't without problems as we talked about right. uh, over the last hour or so uh, but it is to your point sean it is such um a foundational anime um it, that 
it's almost like a time capsule. Yeah. Like watching like it for the uh, the aesthetics, the um, the music, the style. Um, I think you know so many things that came after it were um, were very very foundational. And we have this conversation on on my podcast about like certain comics, you know, that were. Well, I you know like why should we read them? It's like well they're foundational. Like you know things right. like Watchmen or Dark Knight Returns or Mouse are foundational. Or even if you go to movies, it's like Casablanca. Somebody watches Casablanca now says, well this just seems really cliched. Well no, it created those cliches, so that's right. why it seems cliched. Um, so yeah, I would absolutely recommend it for that reason. I do think the characters are a little lackluster. They sort of like recede into the background, with the exception of um, of. Um, of Pris. Pris, yes, yeah. thank you. <laughs> I, I can barely remember her name. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, other than that, uh, they, 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 they seem kind of unremarkable in a way, but, they're, it, but it, it's, it's still a worthy show to watch. Right. It's crazy because I'm going to recommend the, the show as well. In the, the sense that some of these characters aren't remarkable, the feats and what they're able to accomplish is remarkable. The fact that they are able to to gather the attention and, and from these these big corporations, uh, as well as also the military, in kind of enacting this this mercenary justice uh, throughout throughout the city, I, you know, for every reason that we've talked about on here, even even the bad parts of it, you know, even sort of some of the things that they have that are in here that did not age well, I still think that this is really one of those spot on perfect examples that if somebody was to say, Hey, I'd, I'd like to get into to anime. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably maybe two things that I would recommend that people watch like to Akira. set that foundation. Akira, Akira, Ninja Scroll, Bubblegum Crisis. Ninja Scroll. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's definitely a good one. So those are really like the three that I would kind of try to introduce. And as you said, to kind of set the table or build that foundation, you know, for everybody uh, because it has so many, great tropes that has so many wonderful moments that are in it and you 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 hope that you build and you get to to learn a little bit more about some of these characters but in a way it's sort of just to give you that glimpse of what a potential future would look like what 2032 could potentially look like for us 13 short years yeah 13 short years yeah you know with with some of these things and it's it's crazy just to think uh you know in terms of movies whenever they date themselves whenever they throw those dates out and you think, oh, well, it's never going to happen. We're never going to get to that point. Well, I remember uh, reading V for Vendetta as a kid said in the far future of 1997. Yep. Yeah. And I I love, I love when we get to that point, there's a moment where I'm probably going to, when we get to 2032, where Mm -hmm. I'm going to rewatch all of bubblegum crisis and be like, I'm sure. Are we there yet? Do yeah. we have do we have these cyberoids? Are boomers are boomers a thing? I know. So, or sexeroids is that so where we're, people are going to go to get uh, get off? <laughs> so you know, for for all the for all the the mistakes that I think we've mentioned, but also all the positives that we have for this show, I would definitely recommend this. Doug, thank you for recommending this. Thank you for allowing Kaylin and I to kind of jump back Absolutely. into the world of uh, Mega Tokyo and and really kind of just go down this path. And so much appreciated. So Kaylin. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This yeah. has been great. This has been fantastic. Thank you for being here. And I wanted to ask, is there anything that you would like to promote? Where could the good folks find you online as well? Sure. So uh, a couple of things. One, uh, I am part of a podcast called Homo Superior. Mm-hmm. It's five gay men based in D.C. talking about X-Men and other nerdy things. You can find us 
on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, and you can also uh, look for us on social media on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just type in Homo Superior. You'll find us. Uh, we're a very uh, uh, stylish-looking ex uh, um, that, that, that definitely uh, evokes uh, what we're trying to represent uh, if you live in D.C., I DJ at a bar called Trade and occasionally at another bar called Number 9. So come hear my tunes. I play a lot of 80s stuff. Just cool. fair warning there. Uh, and if you want to find me personally on Twitter, uh, I'm at Kalen B. That's K-H-E-L-A-N. Just letter B after that. Uh, find me on Twitter and I can talk. And you'll hear me talking about some political nonsense. So Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. And, and for anybody listening... There are three episodes that I think that I was on of Homer Superior. You were, so. you were uh, officially on two, but you but were... But I was in the background for the but Christmas But you showed special. up on the third one, yeah. yeah. So you were on for She-Ra. You were on for uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That's right. And then you were on for our Christmas special <laughs> where we got really dumb. And so thanks for putting up with us, Sean. No, no, absolutely. It was a joy. I think I did not get a single marshmallow in Clark's mouth during the game portion. Um, you think he's joking. Podcast listeners but yeah. no we actually tried to do that and uh he was not able to get any marshmallows in the clark's <sighs> mouth and i failed pretty hard so mm. womp womp bummer no i uh no so definitely go check out uh homo superior i had a fun being on this show and you may have heard other people who have been guests on this show such as ryan kroll and adam kasaria min on our shira episode that we had last july as well as also on our bojack episode that we had that was in this past november so definitely go check out those episodes, but also go check out Homo Superior. Super fun podcast. Thanks so much, Sean. Because you can hear Ryan scream in the background all the time. <sighs> we really got to lower his volume. <laughs> do something. Soundproof him. Uh, Put him in another state. Ryan's, Ryan's the best. I love him. Yeah. So uh, you heard him on this week's episode. Our buddy Bobby Anthem. Find him on Twitter. Add Bobby Anthem. Send him a message. Show him some love. He is simply the best. As for me, I perform live improv comedy with a group that's called Knox. That's N-O-X exclamation point. We perform with Washington Improv Theater. You can find tickets and times with dc.org. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Paul Ellis. Want to support us here on the show? Man, it's super easy. Just tell a friend. Review us on Apple iTunes. I know it's boring. It super helps us, though. You can always slide into our DMs on Twitter at Morning Tunes. Just remember, that's morning with you. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Saturday Morning Cartoons. Drop us an old-fashioned email at SaturdayMorningCartoons at gmail.com. You can find all of these links, everything that we have on all of our social media bios under our link tree, which you can find uh, shows that we've already watched. You can find where you can find us to listen online, such as YouTube, Apple Podcasts and iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, probably by the time you hear this, iHeartRadio, wherever fine podcasts are sold. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will be back in March with more listener suggestions. So thank you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.